We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to the Mind on My Money podcast presented by Pinnacle Trust. Hosted by RebelGrove.com publisher Neil McCrady and Pinnacle Trust financial guru Martin Palomo, the Mind on My Money podcast tackles the financial questions we're all thinking about. From paying for college to saving for retirement, from life insurance needs to 401ks and everything in between. The goal is to help you take the stress out of financial concerns and give you some tips to enjoy life while your mind is on your money. Now here are your hosts, Neil McCrady. And Martin Paloma. Welcome to another edition of Mind of My Money presented by Pinnacle. I'm Neil McCready, Martin Paloma with me here today on Thursday, October the 6th. We hope you're having a great week as it starts to uh, get to a close, get to another weekend, a three day weekend. We celebrate. Are we allowed to celebrate Columbus? Is that right? Oh, we, we... Uh, well, I mean, I have, I have. From very, very long-distance roots, the Palomo family is Italian, but we moved to Spain and then to Cuba. So uh, I celebrate my Italian brothers, even though, you know, he is uh, pitted at a lot of blame for the Native American population destruction and land grabs. And, man, we can talk. Yeah. I don't know. That was a very long – I should have just said yes. (laughs) There's a decent chance he was a really bad guy, but, I mean – you know, he stumbled on he stumbled on um, on on American land, which, contrary to popular belief, was already settled to some degree. So yeah, you know, I kind of think uh, weren't the 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 Asians were the first to really settle America. Uh, <laughs> hey man, as we're learning in real time, winners write history. Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, that is a hundred percent true. So we're going, to talk about, we're going to talk about a bunch of things. Um, my mind is scattered today. It's uh, there's stuff going on, but uh, but we're going to talk about Elon Musk's Twitter deal. Um, I spend more time than I should on Twitter, so I'm interested in this. We're going to talk about that. And I'm a big Peloton person, literally wearing a Peloton cap right now. Yeah, you headline, are. Headline today that says Peloton to cut 500 more jobs and last bid for turnaround. The subhead says Chief Executive Barry McCarthy says the company has six months to prove it can survive on its own. So I'd love to know what Martin thinks about that. So we'll kind of read those stories in real time. And then I think Martin's got a couple of things he wants to get to first. I want to tell you real yeah. quick, I'm coming to you from the Clark Ford studios, Clark Ford's in Amory, Mississippi, 662-257-1900. That number, call it, ask for Corey Clark, tell Corey what Ford product you're looking for. He'll send you a quote within 15 minutes in business hours. It's right to the bottom line. 
no hassle, no haggle. You get to quote the rest completely up to you. You can shop it around or you can do what I've done, but I recommend that you do. And that's hop into a Clark Ford today, 662-257-1900. Guest, uh, we don't have guests. I started to read about the Raptors Music and Food Hotline. You can tell that I do a lot of podcasting. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'll let you just roll right into it. I've been like, cool, man. We got, so that we you got know, other folks. When guests do join, they join on the Raptors Music and Food Hotline. But I want Martin, before we get started, to tell the people about what's going on at Pinnacle. Well, maybe we should open the the Raptors food and hotline open for some well for some gonna, live commenting. I'm going to tell you what we're going to do. Uh, we are going to start live streaming the show in the near future. Oh, cool! I think people would like it. We're going to have to get Martin on Skype. We're going to have to uh, arrange a little different camera setup, but I don't think it's going to be a big deal. Here, we'll do this. I'll just hold. I'll hold my. Well, that might not be comfortable for the better part of an hour. But well, we when we to... move to the new office, I'll have a new set up and uh i'll put a, i'll just put the camera on top of my um my uh screens okay. so that it hits me from like you yeah. get this cool look of that yeah. beautiful head of hair look at that that's cool i wish i had that head of hair i'd be I'm very jealous <laughs> so uh we'll, we'll we'll do that uh and then we'll be able to have a live stream where people can comment in the stream and hell we could open up the phones that wouldn't be a problem that would be fun man yeah so um anyway tell people about what's going on at pinnacle you mentioned new offices and such Yes. So believe it or not, um, you know, every, every, uh, real estate deal that, uh, you know, construction wise that I ever hear about, it's always, you know, there's a, a timeline that's given and, and the contractors never meet that timeline. Um, but we were told we were going to move in November 1st. Uh, I didn't believe it. And, uh, man, it looks like these guys, these guys actually keep, uh, keep their word. So, uh, we will be moving, to our new space, you know, sometime in November. Uh, I'm really excited about it. We will have an open house and, uh, man, I'll invite all of our, you know, hundreds of thousands of mine on my money listeners to, uh, if you're in the Jackson area or want to come to the Jackson area and, uh, come to the open house, we'll, we'll have some details, you know, about that, uh, coming up and man, we are, I don't know. It kind of feels, it feels new, man. It feels like, it feels like Christmas here. So, uh, I'm kind of giddy and excited uh, about all the the updates happening here. And, you know, it is National Hispanic Heritage Month. And uh, so, you know, I, I didn't know that that my people, we but we don't get a full month. We get half of two months because we're so awesome. Oh, how about that? Yeah. Yeah. All right. So let's dive into a couple of these things. This Elon Musk it. Twitter thing has been going on for so long that I don't even know what to believe anymore. Like I thought he, he had it and then he didn't have it. And then everybody was seeing everybody. And, <laughs> yep. and, um, and, and now they can't completely agree to terms, but it sounds like, uh, so here's the headline. Elon Musk's revived Twitter deal could saddle banks with big losses. Volatility in high-yield loan markets might force Morgan Stanley, Barclays, others to sell $13 billion in Twitter debt at a discount. So the story has – its this is so big that they needed three people to write it. Okay. Uh, Alexander Saidi. Uh, What's Laura, up, Alex? Laura Cooper and Ben Dummett all combined to write this for the Wall Street Journal. Uh, banks – that agreed to fund Elon Musk's takeover of Twitter are facing the possibility of big losses now that the billionaire has shifted course 
and indicated a willingness to follow through with the deal in the latest sign of trouble for debt markets that are crucial for funding takeovers. The $44 billion deal, which Mr. Musk had been trying to walk away from, would be paid for in part with some $13 billion of debt seven banks, including Morgan Stanley, Bank of America Corp., and Barclays PLC agreed to provide when the takeover was sealed in April. As is typical in leveraged buyouts, the banks planned to unload the debt rather than hold it on their books. But a decline in markets since April means that if they did so now, they would be on the hook for losses that could run into the hundreds of millions, according to people with, familiar with the matter. Banks are presently looking at an estimated $500 million in losses if they tried to unload all the debt to third-party investors, according to Ninefin, a leveraged finance analytics firm. Representatives of Mr. Musk and Twitter continue to try to hash out terms of a settlement that would enable the stalled deal to proceed on its original terms, including whether it would be contingent on Mr. Musk receiving the necessary debt financing as he is now requesting, the Wall Street Journal reported Wednesday. Here's one more paragraph. The debt package includes $6.5 billion in term loans, a $500 million revolving line of credit, $3 billion in secured bonds, and $3 billion in unsecured bonds, according to public disclosures. To pay for the debt, Mr. Musk also needs to come up with roughly $34 billion in equity. To help with that, he received commitment letters in May for more than $7 billion in financing from 19 investors, including Oracle Corp., co-founder and Tesla Incorporated, then board member Larry Ellison, and venture firm Sequoia Capital Fund, LP. So that's, that's a, a lot. lot to throw yep. at you. Um, you want to digest it bite by bite? Yeah, a little bit. I want to. I want the big thing here, which is you want to understand how the banks lose money. Well, I kind of get that. I mean, I think the idea of Elon Musk owning Twitter is a really good idea because I think he's going to. Um, I think it's going to be what it was initially supposed to be what it's protected under the constitution to some degree to be, which is the free flow of ideas instead of it would eliminate a lot of the, uh, the, the, the censorship that's going on in, in, uh, by these big companies. I think it would be a message to YouTube and, and, and others that, Hey, you got to chill with some of this, but yes, explain to me kind of what this, what this, what you took from this financially. Well, kind of, let's start with the bank's, piece first where it talks about you know if they unload that debt how they end up with losses by um unloading it and it's it's really not much different than you know when we talk about bonds because essentially they are bonds so there's the seesaw you know uh effect where you know one side's going up and the other side is going down so as interest rates have risen since april the value of those bonds that they you know that they that they created in April um, will have gone down because, you know, because the interest rates are higher. So when you, when you think about high yield bonds, let's say that, you know, the original interest rate in the high yield was 8% um, and interest rates have gone up or the risk of the deal getting paid back um, has gone up. Therefore the, the, the demand for um, interest payments back because it's a higher risk deal 
would increase, meaning that interest rate is going up from, let's say it's 8%, let's say it goes up to, you know, to 12%. Um, so the same impact would be felt where, um, you know, those bonds were worth, let's say it was the $3 billion tranche. You know, they were worth $3 billion collectively. Interest rates went up and, um, you know, and so the value of those bonds go down 500 million bucks. Um, and the banks would, uh, would be on the hook because they would be selling those bonds that they held, they owned, you know, out to the public to, to de-risk, you know, their balance sheet. So that all makes sense. Um, you're gonna have to reread some of the other chunks because there was a lot there. I know there was some collateralized debt and then essentially, um, unsecured debt, which a lot of bonds, you know, a lot of bonds are essentially unsecured debt that's out to the public. Now they do have the difference between bonds and stocks is that, you know, in the event of a bankruptcy, um, bondholders are creditors to the firm. So let's just say worst case scenario, you know, Musk takes over, uh, Twitter, it fails and becomes bankrupt. Like who gets paid on that? So before Musk, can get paid he has to pay off his pay his debts so if you owe if you own the bonds um or the debt to twitter you get paid first in bankruptcy proceedings and then whatever is left over is divided amongst the shareholders and sometimes there's two classes of share there's preferred stock and then what most people are are uh familiar with is common stock a uh, common is the last to get paid in uh in the event of liquidation um, or bankruptcy. So like, if you remember back, you know, it feels like it was five years ago, but it was really only two, two and a half, the beginning of COVID when Hertz filed for bankruptcy, um, the bondholders got paid, but the stockholders did not. And the stockholders were the ones that were demanding reorganization so that they could try to revive a dead asset, which they did. It does happen sometimes. Yeah, there's just so much here that I wish I completely understood that uh, it's just a lot. It's so the, it says the Twitter debt would be the latest to hit the market while high-yield credit is effectively unavailable to many borrowers as buyers of corporate debt are demanding better terms and bargain prices over concerns about an economic slowdown. Sure. This has dealt a significant blow to a business that represents an important source of revenue for Wall Street banks and has already suffered more than $1 billion in collective losses this year. The biggest chunk of that came last month when banks, including Bank of America, Goldman Sachs Group Incorporated, and Credit Suisse Group AG, sold debt associated with the $16.5 billion leveraged buyout of Citrix Systems Incorporated banks, collectively lost more than $500 Oh, Citrix Systems Incorporated. Banks collectively lost more than $500 million on the purchase, the journal reported. Yep. And that's just a byproduct of, you know, of interest rates have gone up. And I mean, in real simply put, which I mean, I, I don't want to beat a dead horse, but I think it's a great teaching opportunity is um, like, let's say, let's, let's be real extreme with the example. Let's say that, you know, Neil, you had, um, you had some corporate debt from Citrix, uh, you know, which is a tech firm, or let's just say, let's stay on the Twitter bandwagon. 
you had corporate debt from the Twitter ban on from Twitter. And, um, you know, you were getting paid 2% on those bonds, right? And you say, hey, I need to, I got to sell these bonds. I need cash or I just need to get them off of my, you know, my balance sheet for, for some reason. And you came to me and you're like, hey, Martin, um, I need you to buy, you know, these Twitter bonds from me um, and they're paying 2%. And I'd be like, gosh, Neil, I mean, I really don't want to, I don't want to buy your 2% bond because I could take my cash and go buy, you know, a two-year or a one-year U.S. government bond and make 4%. I get double the interest and it's guaranteed by the U.S. government. You know, why would I buy your bond from you? And you say, well, you know, it's going to cost you, you know, $1,000 per bond that you buy through the treasury. I'll sell you mine at, you know, 900 bucks per bond. And I'm kind of like, all right, now that's attractive because I know I'm going to get my 2%, but you're selling it to me at a discount. So whenever it matures and it'll mature at a thousand bucks, I make my hundred dollars per bond in growth plus my 2% along the way. And that was kind of an extreme example, but that's, that's why, you know, you would, someone would buy a bond that's, that's paying a less smaller interest rate than what you could currently get. So in rising rate environments, that's why bonds are sold at a discount. Now, let's go reverse of that just for the teaching moment. Let's say that um, you had a 5%, you know, Twitter bond, and this was the beginning of the year. And you said, hey, Martin, uh, I've got this 5% bond I need to sell. I need to get off my balance sheet. Will you buy it from me? And I say, well, gosh, man, I'd really love to. And I know if I buy a one-year treasury right now with my money, I'm only going to get paid 0.4%. And if I buy your bond, I'm going to get 5% in interest. So you're going to tell me like, hey, dude, I know what I got. So I'm not selling this to you for $1,000 per bond, but I'll sell it to you for, you know, $1,200. And I'm willing to pay that $1,200 because I'm getting a higher interest rate than if I were to take it and buy just what was available today. Okay. That's very elementary. And that is. I like elementary though. That helps people learn. Well, yeah. And so the bond world, most people think, most people think bonds are very boring. And the truth of the matter is, is the bond market is very, it's very opaque. Like there's not a lot of transparency. There's a lot of different moving pieces in the bond world. There's no exchange where people buy and sell bonds it's done what they call over the counter. So if Neil has a bond and and Martin wants to buy it, we do the transaction on the side. It's not run through the New York Stock Exchange, the Chicago Board of Options Exchange. And so that's why like with bonds, a lot of money is made as a trader in the world of bonds. And a lot of the really, really smart people on Wall Street are not on the stock side of the business. They are in the fixed income side of the business. And the bond market's probably three, four times the size of the stock market. And, but people don't know that. And then there's all kinds of flavors and variations, even within one issuer like Twitter. All right, let's go from Twitter to Peloton. Let's do it. I'm a Peloton guy. I have a Peloton. I've had one for a while. I use it. I like it. I don't use it as much lately, and I'll tell you some reasons why in a minute. But first, I want to read this story from the Wall Street Journal. 
Let's do it. The headline is Peloton to cut 500 more jobs in last bid for turnaround. Chief Executive Barry McCarthy says company has six months to prove it can survive on its own. You notice I always read the headlines before I tell you who wrote it. You know why I do that? Why is that? Because the person who wrote this story, Sharon Turlip, she did not write the headline. She did not write the headline? She did not. Mm. Is that a little trick in journalism? It's just something I wish people, more people knew because people get mad at headlines from an author, and the, the author of the story did not write the headline or the subhead. So uh, it's like the editors that do that? Yes, sir. All right, here we go. Here's Sharon's story. Sharon Turlip here. I've never, uh, we've never read Sharon's work. What's up, Sharon? Mr. Mrs. Turlip, your daughter has made it. Congratulations. She made it. Peloton Interactive Incorporated, PTON on uh, the stock market. It's up today, 1%. Said it plans to cut about 500 jobs, roughly 12% of its remaining workforce, remaining workforce, in the company's fourth round of layoffs this year as the connected Fitness equipment maker tries to reverse mounting losses. Chief Executive Barry McCarthy, who took over in February, said he is giving the unprofitable company about six months to significantly turn itself around. And if that fails, Peloton likely isn't viable as a standalone company. The job reductions announced to staff on Thursday will leave Peloton with roughly 3,800 employees globally less than half the number of people the company employed at its peak last year. It has also eliminated about 600 more jobs since June than previously disclosed through retail store closings, attrition, and other moves, Peloton said. Mr. McCarthy said the latest cuts mark Peloton's final significant move to reduce its operating footprint and that executives would now focus on increasing revenue. He said the cuts are company-wide, but would be heaviest in its marketing operation, which he said is too big for a company of Peloton size. There comes a point in time when we've either been successful or we have not, Mr. McCarthy said in an interview. If we don't grow, he said before pausing, we need to grow to get the business to a sustainable level. The company has reported six straight quarterly losses, culminating in a one2 billion-dollar loss in the most recent quarter. Demand for Peloton's bikes and treadmills has plunged, and the number of people who subscribe to its fitness classes has stagnated as Americans return to pre-COVID routines and, more recently, confront decades-high inflation. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. 
Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. So Biden inflation's going to kill Peloton too? <laughs> well, I don't know, man. I kind of, this is a, I kind of feel like Peloton kind of killed Peloton before Biden may put the final I do you know, uh, stake in the heart. Um, you a Peloton user? Uh, I'm, I'm not, and I am not, but I am not a, against, is that a Star Wars cup? No, it's a Chicago Cubs cup. Oh. That is. Uh, From a distance, uh, it kind of looked like uh, Luke or Obi-Wan in the white outfit right there on the. Right there. No, that is yeah. former Cubs pitcher Cole Hamels pointing. Mm. Sorry, Cole. I, although Luke Skywalker, cool too. So cool, yeah. So um, I, I am a Peloton person, and I'm going right. to tell you how Peloton has changed in the last. We got Peloton in 2018, so I'm long term Peloton. I like it, but I'm going to tell you where Peloton's changed. At the risk of pissing a bunch of people off. Peloton went from being about exercise and instructing you on exercise to going woke. That's what Peloton did. Peloton went woke, Martin. See, and I and I and I guess I'm not I'm not in the Peloton um user circle, so I don't completely know what they did to to go woke so i'm gonna i'm gonna play i'm gonna reverse the role and i'm gonna be the village idiot okay on, uh, on this one so they have great instructors the bike is fantastic sometimes people get on the bike hand raised and what you really want to do is you just want to get a workout in yeah i need you to put I think the, so i need you to put the music on i need you to guide me through a class let me pretend that i'm in the room with you and just go. And in the pandemic, at first, they answered the bell. They had to quit their classes with the people in them. But they they were there, right? They did these live classes from their own homes and stuff. And, and, yep. and you know, you, you just got your workout in. And then they started getting into... A lot of social justice, um, you know, pride rides, um, all those things that, look, this isn't about politics. It's just that's not what you go to your exercise class for. 
you go to your exercise class for exercise. Yeah, I, I respect that. I, was, I would expect that too. And when you get bombarded with the other stuff, you get turned off to it. And I don't know, at times I got turned off to it. Um, I still use it. There are still instructors that I like. There are instructors that I don't go to anymore because they just are over the top. Um, they've gotten away from hard classes, frankly. There used to be some really hard classes that they've gotten away from, and I don't know why that is. One of the instructors that I liked the most got fired because she made a reference about fat people. Um, I didn't think she should have been fired for that. It was stupid probably, but she should have been like, Hey, remember now all these people are not, you know, they're, 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 they're trying to get in shape. Be cool. Yep. But there's just a lot that they throw at you. And then on top of that, it's not cheap. It's, it's a monthly expense. That's easy to cut. And now people are ready to get back out there and go to the gym or go for a walk or all of those things. And you have to really refine your product at a time like this to keep people coming because people got cooped up for a couple of years. Some people did. I didn't. You didn't. But a lot of people did. And they want to get back out and be around yep. people and stuff like that. And so it's uh, it's difficult. But, I mean, I hope they make it because I think their product is is great. And I love the ability to walk upstairs at 6.15 in the morning and do a 45-minute Peloton ride, get a workout in, come back downstairs at be be downstairs at seven oh two and take a shower. Does that make sense? It does. I like that. I like not having to drive to the gym or take a class or all that stuff. I like being able to take a class without actually taking a class, which is what Peloton offers. But hey, they're clearly hurting. Yeah, and then they had the the venture into the treadmill, which. What, that was kind of a flop, right? And then they had some lawsuits with the treadmill. Is that correct? Um, yeah, the treadmill had a flaw in it that that was bad, uh, that that hurt people. Yeah, and 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 that and and man, that was probably a an unfortunate with regards to the timing event that because I mean I think they they had a pretty good amount of capital invested into the treadmill and you know and trying to add you know and innovate and add a new line a new product line to to the bike um and then i do remember just from you know a little bit of the i guess scuttlebutt i'll call it um with peloton where it was just this massive run up you know in demand and even in stock price during the pandemic and then um not that the market got saturated but i think all of the people or most of the people who were going to be users and buyers you know, did it during the pandemic. And then even folks had a little bit of extra money in their pocket um, with, uh, you know, some of the stimulus money that probably made Peloton users out of folks who might not have been Peloton users. Um, and then you're right, you know, as, as inflation has gone up, uh, it probably is an easy, an easy cut to say, Hey, I'm going to cut this monthly subscription out. Um, you know, I need some cash. I'm going to sell my, my Peloton bike, um, you know, and they were probably staffed up for the growth patterns that they had during the pandemic 
and maybe it was the top that didn't realize that, hey, that's not sustainable. That is not a real long-term growth pattern. And now they're shaving the fat. You know, and when I worked in D.C., man, a lot of the – so I was in distressed credits in the hedge fund world. And a lot of the firms that we looked at were, you know, firms that had made missteps and they were poorly managed at the top. Um, not not that the managers were bad um, all the time, but sometimes they're just, you know, you stepped in a hole and and it cost you, you know, both of your legs. And, um, you know, and then the quote unquote Raiders would come in with all the cash and uh, buy the company up on the cheap, uh, you know, trim off all the fat get it ready for sale or acquisition and then make their money on the acquisition or sale. And I kind of think, I think that's the path that Peloton's probably heading down is they need a big partner. Yeah. Um, Along those lines, they're about to start selling their bikes at Dick's sporting goods. They're putting their bikes in all 5,400 Hilton branded U S hotel, hotels, hotel. (laughs) Uh, We're from the South, man. We are. And sometimes it comes out. I've worked really hard to, uh, limit my southern accent but sometimes it pops up you just sometimes just hotels hotels but let me tell you about <laughs> our hotels we got them pelotons in them real good um yeah so there you go so yeah anyway i mean and, and, you know a, a deal with hilton uh it's probably a good deal man and if they could do and i don't know i don't know how the how the hoteling stuff works. I don't know if they can do a deal with Hilton and go to Bonvoy to the Marriott crew and go, Hey, for your luxury lines of hotels, you know, we would love to be um, in the hotels. Cause that probably is talking to their target audience, you know, especially the business travelers that are staying in the, you know, the Conrad's or the Waldorf's or, um, you know, even the Hilton branded. And then on the Marriott side, like, you know, your, Weston's, your, you know, JW Marriott's, your, um, you know, the, the really exclusive luxury brand of those hotels. Probably, that makes a lot of sense. And probably your users will be happy about it saying, Hey, I can get my work in it, workout in, uh, just like I'm at home. I think that's a good, good partnership. All right, you I don't know about the Dick side, but yeah, uh, who knows? I mean, I, I, another distribution channel. It lets you have a way to sell it there and, and maybe be a, a, a name brand that those, the people that go to Dick's to buy a bike are probably not the people that are buying a bike online. I'm guessing. I don't know. Beats me. You had a couple of things you wanted to get to. What, what, what were the things you wanted to talk about? Things to look forward to here in the final quarter. Yeah. I mean, uh, so, you know, third quarter, third quarter was not so hot. September was, was pretty brutal, especially there at the end. Um, and and that's kind of how September's go, man. But, you know, I do want to I, – I feel like we do a good job of balancing out the, the you know, the negatives with, you know, things to look forward to. Um, and, you know, in kind of fourth quarter, historically speaking, is a good, is a good time period um, for markets, especially, you know, once we hit the November um, – you know, the November run all the way through December – uh, we get a little bit of that, uh, you know, positive, the happiness and positive sentiment and uh, markets generally do kind of react positively. But, you know, this year also we do have uh, two things that could be fuel for, um, you know, a stock market recovery through year. And now I'm not saying that we'll get back to, you know, 
even. Um, but man, we hit down 25% at the end of September. Um, so markets were, were at, at year lows. Um, but even if we could claw some of that back through year end, that would be positive. But two things that I think will be really um, key to, uh, to, to good markets for through year end, one of them being uh, the midterm election coming up. Uh, I know that we talked about it last show. We'll probably talk a lot more about politics in the next, I mean, I think we have to the next, you know, couple of weeks and I will be out not next week, but the week after for Jennifer's, she turns 40 Oh, and, um, COVID we were supposed to do a big anniversary trip in 2020 and COVID, uh, did not allow us cause we were trying to go do Italy and Greece. And, can, uh, can you get they, Jennifer to record a, uh, a video of herself um, saying, come at me. I'm a woman. I'm 40. On that day, that would be great. If that uh, would be sure. Great. I have no frame of reference for what that is, but I'll do whatever. I'll do whatever you want. Said Mike Gundy, Oklahoma State. Oh. <laughs> and he yelled, at, he yelled at the reporter. He said, don't go with the kid. Come at me. I'm a man. I'm 40. I'm 40. I've never heard a woman say, come at me. I'm a woman. I'm 40. That would be cool. Okay. Uh, Jennifer's kind of subdued so that would be that would be uh that would be fun to do that I'll, I'll see if i can get her to do it okay uh anywho but i think for the next couple of shows you know especially going through um you know the election tuesday uh, i think we're going to talk a lot about politics and what that can mean for the economy and then also you know folks investment portfolios um so that's one positive i think uh i think we if we can get some gridlock even if it's the Republicans winning uh, the House, even if they don't end up fully taking the Senate, will get a pretty decent chunk of gridlock. If they could end up pulling a rabbit out of a hat and taking the Senate, then uh, you got almost guaranteed gridlock, uh, which will be good for the markets. And then the last piece, you know, the Fed, the Fed is going to raise rates um, one more time this year. I'm pretty positive we're going to get 75 basis points. We probably get another one either in December or January, that's half a percent, and so uh, 50 basis points. And and then I think they're going to pause and just kind of see what happens. Well, third quarter earnings, you know, we've already got baked in. Um, the, the earnings estimates are kind of already baked in for the market, so I don't think there's going to be any surprises in, uh, in third quarter for stock, uh, for earnings per shares for stocks. So I think that's going to be another good, a good piece that will give us some some legs to run. And once the Fed finally pauses on their rate hikes, um, you know, it's going to be like a shot for the markets to be able to, to run and recover. So that's my predictions, man. Um, through year in, that's how I think that we have a happy new year and a Merry Christmas and a happy Thanksgiving, uh, at least as for, in regards to your 401ks and your investment accounts. Uh, you know, yeah. I think there's, there's a good opportunity for, some growth in fourth quarter from your mouth to God's ears, man. Uh, well, you know, I mean, I'm not trying to say that, that I get everything right, but dude, I have, I've been pretty good on my percentages of calling, you know, what's going to happen with the fed and how we position the portfolio here to take advantage of it. All right. We'll, we'll finish with this then 2022 house and Senate election outlook. This is from the wall street journal. This is Randy. Oh, Yeep. sweet. Randy. Yeep. Y-E-I-P, I don't know how you pronounce that. Yeep is what I keep coming back to. Or yite. Yeet. Yeet. Or yite. <laughs> and Danny Darty. 
He says, forecast for congressional contests are rated on a scale from safely Democratic or Republican to toss-up based on combined ratings from the Cook Political Report, Inside Elections with Nathan L. Gonzalez, and Larry Sabato's Crystal Ball at the University of Virginia Center for Politics. All right. So how how biased all those are, I don't know. It's the Wall Street Journal. States rated likely for each party aren't considered competitive but have potential for movement. Those rated as leaning one way or the other are competitive, but one party has an advantage. Okay? Okay. So the Democrats in the House have 177. Let's see. They have 177 safe or likely seats. The Republicans have 202 safe or likely seats. Uh, of the most competitive, 20 lean Democrat, 26 are toss-ups, 10 lean Republican. It says all 435 seats are on the ballot, but control of the House will come down to several dozen races. Currently, Democrats currently control the chamber narrowly, 220 to 212, with three seats vacant. A party needs 218 seats for a majority if there are no vacancies. In the Senate, 46 seats are safe or not up for uh, Democrats, meaning they're not up for re-election or they're safe. Republicans, 46 seats are not up, safe, or likely. Of the most competitive, two lean Democrat, three are toss-ups, three lean Republicans. So if you give the leans each way, it's 49 Republican. 48 Democrat, three, three toss-ups. toss-ups. Ooh, that's thinner than I thought it was. How about that? Uh, there are 35 Senate contests on the ballot in November. Fewer than 10 are highly competitive. The chamber is currently split 50-50 with Vice President Kamala Harris serving as the tiebreaker. I was looking to see if they told so us. So the three toss-ups. Trying to find them. So, I'm looking for the way. Okay. okay, here we go. Here we go. Here we go. The toss-ups appear to be Georgia. Okay. I guess that's the Herschel Walker one, which is crazy. Um, the Pennsylvania one with his Oz versus Fetterman, which is mm. downright insanity. We talked about that last time. And then Nevada is the other one. I'm not sure who's in that one. The other ones that appear to be leaning Republican, if I'm reading this correctly, and if I'm not, y'all, I'm sorry. I think I am. I'm, I'm trying to be straight down the line here. Uh, Utah and Wisconsin and Florida and North Carolina and Ohio, those five appear to be leaning Republican. Okay. Uh, two are leaning Democrat, and those appear to be Arizona and Colorado, if I'm reading this correctly. Okay. Or maybe there's one in New Hampshire, if I'm looking at that right, but I'm not sure. There you go, though. So that's what you're watching. I mean, on election night, we're going to be we're going to be watching we're going to be watching these Senate races in Georgia, Pennsylvania, and Nevada closely. Okay, that's what I knew. We had talked about Pennsylvania. I made my comment about Georgia. Um, all right, so Nevada, Georgia, Pennsylvania. Those are the those are the swings. Yeah, I'm pulling up Nevada Senate race 2022 to see what we got here. Okay. Um, going to 538 
which is I, I always think it's pretty good. Um, and I did learn that you have to spell out the 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 numbers. You can't put the numerical five thirty eight dot com. That doesn't exist. Okay, five thirty eight dot com. Laxalt, the Republican, leads. This is as of October the third, most recent poll. Laxalt, the Republican, leads Cortez Mastro, Masto, Cortez Masto, uh, the Democrat, 44.7 to 43.8, so 0.9, which is almost yes. certainly within the margin of error. So yep. Yep. Uh, it's wide open. I'm looking at the uh, the trend on it. Uh, Cortez Masto, August the 24th, had a four-point lead. It has, it has disappeared. At one point, Laxalt had a four-point lead. Okay. And now it's down to a... 0.9. Uh, the uh, One of the latest polls done by the Nevada Independent, I have no idea whether that's good or bad, don't know, beats me, has uh, Laxalt up to 45-43. The Insider Advantage American Greatness poll, again, I know nothing about it, uh, has Laxalt up three. Trafalgar Group, which I've found to be very, very good. Now, some people will tell you that it's right-leaning, so keep that in mind. Uh, but I, I found that the guy at Trafalgar is really good with polls. He has um, he has uh, Laxalt up four. Data for Progress, which I'm going to guess is uh, left-leaning, has Laxalt up one. And Emerson College, which obviously is left-leaning, has Laxalt up one. So it is a toss-up. It is a toss-up. Super close. Wow. And then, uh, and then what about – Let me see what he's got, 538 has with uh, – I'll see what 538 has with Georgia. And Did you hear my belly growl through the microphone? Was that you? That was my stomach. <laughs> How about that? Uh, it's crazy how much how sensitive these microphones are. I heard it in my headset. I'm sure it'll probably come through the recording. Okay, in Pennsylvania, it has uh, the headline reads: "John Fetterman's lead in Pennsylvania is tightening, and so are Democrats' chances in the Senate." Okay. Uh, Pennsylvania was supposed to be the Democrats' insurance policy. The state Senate seat is currently held by a Republican, but Democrat Lieutenant Governor John Fetterman has comfortably led the race since August. If Democrats win Pennsylvania, their chance of winning the Senate would be 81 in 100. It would even allow them to withstand the loss of one of their own Senate seats, say in Georgia or Nevada, and still retain control of the chapter of the chamber. But according to three recent polls, Fetterman's lead is narrowing. He led by nine percentage points in June. That's been cut to six, according to USA Today. According to Fox News, he led by 11 in July, but by <laughs> just four recently. Okay. And then according to Emerson College, he was up five in August, but it's down to just two. As a result of these and other polls, Fetterman has gone from an 11-point lead in, in uh, September 13th to a seven-point lead today. 48.7 to 42. Fetterman and Oz, that race is a microcosm of what is wrong with our country. And you can get mad at me if you want. I'm right. It is a microcosm of what is wrong with our country. And the other one that is a microcosm of what is wrong with our country 
is the uh, Georgia race, which is despicable between Herschel Walker and uh, Roth. Is it Warlock? Is that his name? Both both of them should pull out of of the race. They're they're they're. Uh, and in that race, uh, Bloomberg has Warnock opening a twelve point lead. I don't know if you saw where uh, Herschel Walker's son came out openly against him. Wow. Um. Yeah, Bloomberg has Warnock uh, opening a twelve point lead. I'm looking. I'm going to try to find real quick uh, Georgia Senate race five thirty eight. I couldn't find that a minute ago. Five thirty. There you go. Um, probably boring people right now, but <laughs> I mean, um, I can do a little song and dance pony show while we're. Let's see. Uh, projecting each Senate seat. Uh, Warnock has a 59% chance of winning right now. Walker has a 41% chance. In Nevada, uh, Cortez Masto and Laxalt are essentially tied. And in Pennsylvania, Fetterman has a 72% chance. So it's looking like Republicans winning the House, Democrats winning the Senate. Yeah, because, I mean, Republicans would need all three of those seats. Yeah, because the 50-50 split goes to the Democrats. Yep, yep, yep. All right, so we'll talk. Uh, we'll talk more about politics as we get closer to the election because it's obviously a critical election. It and, is. Uh, we'll talk a lot about that and other things. Anything else, Martin? Before we go? No, man. I think uh, we packed in a lot today. Yeah, we did. All right, we'll uh, we'll let it go there. Thanks to everybody for making us a part of your week. We certainly appreciate it. Don't forget, go to Pinnacle. It's mypinwealth.com. M Y P I N N wealth.com. For Martin Palomo, I'm Neil McCready. That does it. Talk to you soon. Take care.